So let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to the book of John, and specifically John chapter 8. John chapter 8. This morning, uh, I'm going to kind of preach, if you will, a little bit of a kind of a geographical, if you will, message is how it will start, but it'll be an applicational message for us and, uh, you know, for how we conduct our, our, our lives and what we do, uh, in this Christian life and what we need, what we need to make sure that we have in this Christian life. Um, and John, you know, the book of John obviously is talking about Christ and his deity. Uh, but in this passage, it points out, uh, if you will, just this casual statement that seems to be made, but from it we can gain a greater understanding of who Christ is and the example that he set for us as believers. So in John chapter 8, I want to look at verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Just a statement. just seems like it's just, if you will, kind of put there, and if you were to read that chapter, would seem rather random. But it's not. It's not. Because when we jump up to the the chapter beforehand, in verse 53, we find after there's all this discussion about who Jesus is, and the Pharisees going back and forth, and Nicodemus points something out, and they attack Nicodemus, and all these things, and they're not sure what to do with Christ, In verse 53, it says, and every man went unto his own house. Then it goes to this verse in verse 1 of chapter 8, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. We're going to take a look at that statement this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time and opportunity to just look into your word and to study. And I pray above all, Lord, that we would take these things that we learn today about this Mount of Olives and uh, where you resorted to, that, Lord, we as believers would do the same. That, Lord, we would have this understanding about uh, what we are supposed to do and, Lord, how we seek you on a day-to-day basis. I thank you again, Lord, for just giving us your word and, above all, the gift of salvation and your Holy Spirit to teach us. And Lord, I thank you again for those that are here, and I pray, Lord, that each of our hearts would be ready to receive what you have for us. Thank you again for just um, an, uh, just the, the freedom, Lord, that we have to be able to worship here without uh, fear of reprisal or fear of being caught, but Lord, we can do this openly. And I thank you again, Lord, for just the blessings that you have bestowed upon us over and over and over and over again. And Lord, I pray that we would find a blessing in your word this morning. And all of this I do ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are, you know, kind of, if you will, this contrast of all of these individuals, these Pharisees, going to their own houses, but Jesus Christ chooses to go to the Mount of Olives. Now, this is significant because if you notice over in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, Jesus Christ makes a mention to somebody that was wanting to follow him. 
he said that he himself had no place to lay his head. And if you turn to Luke chapter 9, I just want us to see this passage here and get an understanding about this. Luke chapter 9, and in verse 58, we find that he has this response. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And one of the key things that we're going to find out here as we go through this and look at this Mount of Olives, where Jesus goes to, is that's where he lived. The Bible says that he abode there. Now, I want us to understand this. Jesus Christ was homeless. He, he didn't have a place to go. There were people that had offered, you know, I'm sure to, and he had slept in other people's houses and things, but he didn't have a place to call his own. He didn't have a home here on earth. And it should cause us to kind of reflect and think on that just for a moment, how blessed we truly are if we do have a home to go to. And it's not wrong to have a home, but Paul says, food and raiment be content. Paul really didn't have a home either. He was traveling around. He was, if you will, transient. But here's Jesus Christ not having any home to go to. But there was a place that he would often go to, the Mount of Olives, And this place had great importance in his life. If you look at it, and we're going to see here some verses, if you look at what's going on with the the Mount of Olives, we note that the Mount of Olives became a place of praise. It became a place of prayer. It was a place, uh, 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 if you will, of teaching. It was a place of surrender. It was a place of rest. It was a place of hope. We find many, if you will, characteristics about why this was such an important place. And I dare say that we as believers today need to make sure that we have a place that we can go to that's like that. But the key thing that I want to emphasize with that is, is if we are going to a place like that, Christ must be there. Christ must be there. Now, I'm not talking about a physical place. But I'm talking about a place that we have set aside, if you will, sanctify and say, this is where I am going to resort to when things are tough, when I need a break, when I I, I need some help, when I need to seek some hope, when when these things occur, this is where I go to. And I'll tell you this, you could always find Christ there. You can find Christ there. Take a look over the book of Luke and take a look at chapter 19. Let's start with this. And let's take a look at this fact that this place was a place of praise. Luke chapter 19, in Luke chapter 19... Luke chapter 19, and in verse 29, it says, And it came to pass, 
when he had come, uh, when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount, uh, called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go ye into the village over against you and the, which ye, uh, at your entering, ye shall find a colt tied whereupon, uh, yet no man sat, loose him and bring him thither. And here we are looking at this passage where he is making an entrance into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Now that's significant, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But here he is at the Mount of Olives asking for, uh, uh, you know, this, this, this cult of an ass to, to sit on and go and, if you will, enter into the city. And what do we find when they enter into the city, when they start coming down off of the Mount of Olives in verse um, 35, and they brought him uh, to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they uh, spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now to the scent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here, here is this, this, if you will, kind of a humble but triumphant entry into Jerusalem descending from the Mount of Olives, we find that all these disciples that had seen such great things could not help themselves but to praise God. They could not do, do this uh, um, and, and, and be quiet about it. Nobody was going to be able to shush them. Nobody was going to be able to tell them, no, you can't say that. They began to praise him. We should always have a place that we go to that we get to praise the Lord for what he's done in our life. We should have specifically, uh, you know, if you will, set aside where, where we are giving God praise for all that he has done. What we have seen in this life. And I dare say that, that if you're a Christian today and you have not seen God working in your life or have not seen God working in other people's lives, uh, you may not be paying attention. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in many of your lives. You're like, well, I haven't seen it. I've seen it in some of yours. Others have seen it as well. Seeing God moving, seeing God doing things. And here we are as believers, we should have that desire to praise. We should have, if you will, this place that we often resort to, to praise God. Take a look at this other passage over in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. And we find that at the Mount of Olives, this is where he would often go to, to pray. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, this is my body, or take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed 
for many for the remission of sins. And as he's doing this, this, if you will, the Passover, the Lord's Supper, he's leaving in verse 30, he says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So here they are at the Last Supper. He says these things, begins the, if you will, to ordain the, the Lord's Supper and the importance and the purpose behind it. Then they sing and go out to the Mount of Olives, which is where he would go, which is where we find him going in John chapter 8, verse 1. And when he goes there, what do we find? We find that he goes there and he begins to pray. He begins to pray. And in verse 36, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. This Gethsemane was part of this Mount of Olives. This is where he would go to to pray. We find over in Luke chapter 22, turn there, Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22 and in verse 39, it says, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And when he was withdrawn from them, about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed. We find that this is where he would go to. And it says, as he was wont, this means that as often as he could, this is where he would go to. He wanted to go there. When he wanted to go, he would go to this place. He would go to this place. Now, interestingly enough, to think about this and just uh, just briefly, here's the Mount of Olives with all these olive groves all over it. What is one of the key symbols of peace? The olive branch. And there he is among the olive branch, praying, finding peace with God, the Father. Because he is the Prince of Peace. Do we have a place where we go to, to pray? Do we go to a, a place that, 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 that very clearly where Christ is, that we are seeking to go to, to pray and to have that communion with God, to, 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 to join together? And we find that. That's what he had. He had communion, if you will, in the, at the Lord's Supper, and then comes and he has if you will, again, communion with God the Father, we ourselves need to have the same. We ourselves need to be seeking this. There's praise. There's prayer. And this is where he frequently went. And I dare say, we need to have a place where we frequently go to pray. We need to have a place where we go to to pray often. If we're not involved, you know, in our Christian life in prayer, then we're missing out. We're missing out. And one of the key actions that you see Christ doing very frequently is praying. Is praying. 
turn over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. We find that it is, here he is again found at the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 24. Now I'll tell you this, Matthew chapter 24 is one of those key chapters that if you don't understand what's going on there and you start trying to apply some of that stuff that's in there, you're going to get some pretty weird doctrines. But Matthew chapter 24, I'll tell you this, it becomes important for us to understand that because in verse 3, it says, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, there he is sitting at the Mount, you know, uh, in the Mount, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? What are they asking for? Teaching. They're asking for some heavy doctrine. They're asking for some pretty intense study lessons. And he begins to go into it. And there's a lot of stuff that we see in here that really, truly, as we look at it, we find there is a great amount of application. And sometimes we try to apply a lot of that stuff to what's going on today because, obviously, we're a lot closer to Christ's return. But I'll say this. He hasn't come back yet. We're not all millennialists. We don't believe the kingdom has already come. The kingdom will come. When Jesus Christ comes and sets up the kingdom, that's not our job. It's not what we do. That's reserved for Jesus Christ. And when he comes, he will set that kingdom up. But here they are. They're asking some questions. They're asking some tough stuff because, and interestingly enough, they knew the world was going to end. They knew the world was going to end. And they're asking for some teaching. You know, we should have a place in our life where we go to to be taught. We should have a place where we go to to be taught by Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, you never stop learning. None of us have come to the point where we have all knowledge, nor will we ever get there. Because by the time we get there, we will have forgotten it all. Let's just understand that concept. You know, here here we are, you know, think we've got all of this stuff down. By the time we get to a certain age, we forget more than we remember. But I will tell you this, it becomes very imperative that we are constantly learning. As believers, we should be constantly learning. We should resort to where Christ is not only for praise, not only for prayer, but also for teaching in our lives. You have to learn. If you're a Christian and you're not desiring to learn, you need to take a look at what's hindering that desire in your heart. You need to ask, why, why, why don't I want to learn about these things? Why don't I want to grow in Christ? It becomes very, very important that we learn. And here are the disciples asking Jesus Christ in the Mount of Olives for some teaching. Turn over to the chapter, a couple chapters over in Matthew chapter 26 again. Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> 
And and we find, obviously, in verse 30, as we read, he went into the Mount of Olives, and here he is in the Mount of Olives, and we find him praying. But I want to want you to see some things as he begins to to pray, and he tells them uh, to to sit and pray in verse 36. Um, in verse uh, 37, uh, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Jesus Christ experienced emotions. Emotions aren't wrong. Sorrow and sadness is not wrong. Let's understand that. But he didn't stay there, by the way. In verse 38, then he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Should you keep that in mind? And he come to the disciples and find them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. He entered not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went in a second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came again and found them asleep, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Verse 45, then cometh to his disciples and saith unto them, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, I want us to understand a couple of things. The Mount of Olives became a place of surrender. It was there that Jesus Christ surrendered his will to the will of the Father. And if we haven't gotten to the point where we're surrendering our will to his will, then we're willful and filled with pride. Our will must be broken. The Mount of Olives is a place where we should go to to surrender. We should have a place in our life where we have surrendered to him. And interestingly enough, Jesus Christ surrendered himself to the band that came and to the one that betrayed him. He surrendered himself unto the will of man and what man would do to him. And man crucified him upon that cross. And Jesus Christ laid down his life for us because that was the will of the Father. He suffered at the hands of man. He suffered for my sin and for your sin. And he surrendered to the will of God, the will of the Father. Now, again, that, to, to, it kind of blows our minds when we begin to think about it. Well, isn't Jesus Christ God? Yes, he is. But here he was in the form of a man showing what man must do. Being that example that man must surrender his will to the will of the Father. 
knowing he was going to suffer horrible things, knowing that his flesh did not want to go through with that. But he did it anyways because of how much he loved us. Demonstrating that, as Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while he was yet, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he died for the purpose that we would have salvation from our sins that was condemning us to a devil's hell. That we would have eternal life because of the power of his resurrection. And when we begin to wrap our minds around that, we realize that he had surrendered himself and he had surrendered his flesh to God's purpose. And we as believers must do the same. We cannot go through this life thinking that we will get to do what we want to do. We should do what God wants us to do. And we have to surrender. We have to give it up. We have to lay down our will and yield to the Holy Spirit, yield to the Word of God, yield to God and His will in every area of our life. The Mount of Olives was a place to surrender. It was a place to surrender. But it was also an amazing thing. It was a place of blessing. Turn over to Luke chapter 25. Luke chapter 25. <clears throat> Excuse me, Luke chapter 24. If you have 25 <clears throat> chapters, you got some extra spiritual revelation there. Um, Luke chapter 24. Man, I love dyslexia. Uh, Luke chapter 24, and, and, and we find here in verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. There he is blessing them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And it's at this point that we find him leaving this area. And again, the geographical location is that right there at Bethany, Bethpage, that overlooked Jerusalem was the Mount of Olives. And it was from there that he began to ascend. And we find, you know, again, over in Acts chapter 1, this ascension where they, they get an opportunity to speak to him. And if you turn to Acts chapter 1, as he's, as he's leaving and he's, he's going up, here he is in this, this, at this point, where he's given them this blessing and he's showing and he's, you know, leaving in verse nine of Acts chapter one. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, again, th- this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing thing that we begin to see what God's doing. And, and again, the, the angels begin to, to 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 question him that are there that are watching this and, and and if you will in verse ten and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up two men stood by them in white apparel 
which also said, ye men of Galilee, why are you stand, uh, ye gazing up into heaven? This is the same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so shall come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. They're like, he's coming back. You want to talk about an immense blessing? It's an amazing blessing that they actually got to see this ascension. When's the last time you saw somebody being lifted up with no mechanical means, no chemical reaction, no explosive force, but just all of a sudden just like, go up into the clouds and he's gone. Yeah, I would probably stand there a while with like, what just happened? And he's gone. But what we find is over in Luke chapter 24, what was he doing? He was blessing them. Now, now Luke wrote both Luke and the book of Acts. And he blends this together very amazingly. And, and we find this here as, you know, he's talking about Luke 24, where it says that they, uh, that he was blessed. And in verse 52, and I'm, I know you've probably turned from there, but it says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Now, again, you look at Acts chapter 1, and in verse 12, we find exactly where this all took place. God says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Now, it's not a day's journey, it's a Sabbath day journey. Because remember, they couldn't go as far on the Sabbath. So it was a shorter distance. And there they are, the Mount of Olives, and they see one of the most amazing things, Jesus Christ leaving. Now, interestingly, if you were to go to the Mount of Olives today, you know what you're going to find surrounding all of those uh, olive groves? Graves. graves and the reason why that they do that is because Zechariah chapter 14 makes it pretty clear where exactly Jesus is going to plant his feet when he comes back and it's on the Mount of Olives so those that are involved in Judaism and want to be part of that resurrection have buried themselves there in those graves so that they have a front row seat from the resurrection to the return of Christ. A sad thing is, is though many of those people that have buried themselves there have not trusted Christ as their savior and will not rise. But what we find is we find not only is this a place of blessing, but it's a place of hope, his return. Turn over to the book of Zechariah quickly and take a look there, Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Excuse me. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. I will get it right one of these days. 
Zechariah chapter 4, 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall move uh, remove toward the, the north and half of it toward the south. Here he is touching down on the Mount of Olives and that thing just splits in half. An amazing thing to see. An amazing thing to see. But you know what? There's so much hope there. Because you know what that means? Jesus Christ has returned. Now we have a hope. And a hope that is sure and a hope that endures. Because if you've trusted Christ as your Savior... You have the hope of eternal life that is, if you will, a hope that is guaranteed. It's not, I hope I win the lotto. No, it's a hope that has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we have that hope of eternal life because we've trusted Christ as our Savior. And we know that when we pass from death to life, meaning that when we die from here, we are moving to eternal life. People like to say when we pass from life to death. But we don't stay dead. We pass from that death to the new life. The life that we find in Christ in eternity. We are with him. If we are absent from the body, we are present with him if you're trusting Christ as your Savior. And it's not a gradual thing. You don't sleep in the grave till he comes back. No, you're with him immediately. You die, and the first that you will see will be your Savior. You'll open your eyes and you will be in heaven. And praise God for that. We have an amazing hope. We have an amazing hope. But we also have the hope that He's coming back and we'll be coming with Him. And if we're not caught up in the air, in the rapture, well, then we'll be with Him. But we'll get that resurrected body No more pain, no more death. Praise God for that. But here we will be, and and as the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, uh, we'll be with him like that forever. Forever. That's such a great hope to begin to realize. He's going to come back. He's going to establish his kingdom. Things are going to be run right. Politics will be done Jesus way. Not Republican, not Democrat, not communist, not socialist, not progressive, not libertarian, not whatever flavor of the month it is. No, it will be done God's way or it will be, or it won't be done. There will be punishment. And praise God for that. There's hope. There's hope. But the one thing that I want to point out also about this is that the Mount of Olives was finally a place of rest. And if you will, turn over to Luke 21. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. We find in Luke 9, he says he doesn't have a place to lay his head. 
He's got no home. He's got no house to go to. The Pharisees go to theirs. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. Why does he go to the Mount of Olives? Because what we find here in Luke chapter 21, and if you jump down to verse 37, it says, And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at the night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. But I want you to see what happens. He was busy during the day, doing obviously the will of the Father. He was in the temple. He was teaching. He was preaching. He was doing all of those things. But then at nighttime, he left there. And where did he go? He went to the Mount of Olives, and that's where he abode. You ever hear somebody refer to their house, so this is my humble abode. What does that mean? That's where they abide. That's where they live. That's where they go to to rest. That's where they go to after work, take the shoes off, relax, pet the dog, and just be at rest. Jesus Christ slept out in the open in the grove. And you know what? He found rest there. He found rest there. It is very humbling to think that our Savior would leave heaven and sleep on the ground for us. You know, some of those trees are probably still there that he slept under. And I know that there's a lot of people that go over there and when they go to Jerusalem and they go to the Mount of Olives and they start walking around, um, you know, a lot of times the tour guide doesn't necessarily do a good job talking about it. But if if I was ever to visit that place, I think I would be very humbled to understand the fact this is where he lived. I got a home I get to go back to. A roof over my head. Walls. Furnace. Air conditioning. A bed. Pillows. Sheets and covers. Adjustable bed because I'm old now. (laughs) And you know what? He didn't have any of that. And I think about this, and I think about the fact that he was just so content at night to go and lay down under one of the trees of the olive grove and just fall asleep. It's an amazing thing knowing that the Lord just had such peace and rest that he could sleep. He could sleep in a boat that was going back and forth and couldn't be bothered. The disciples had to wake him. You know, if we're getting violently tossed about, 
generally we, we, we become awake. Cars now that detect when you're going to sleep, they violently shake the steering wheel so you'll be awake. He's in the boat, violently going back and forth, and he's <laughs> just sawing logs, just content as can be. I tell you, there's one thing that I really, really, really enjoy about Jesus Christ is understanding that he had great rest, and I can go to him for rest. And I want you to understand, when I talk about a place for these things, a place for praise, a place for prayer, a place for teaching, a place for surrender, a place for blessing, a place for hope, and a place for rest. All of these, you know where they're found? They're only found in Jesus Christ. And that is where you abide, is in Him. Are you in Him today? The Bible says over in the book of Ephesians that if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is not only in you, but you are in Him. You you become inseparable from Christ. Inseparable. Nobody can do it. Not even yourself. What can separate us from the love of God? The short answer over in Romans is, Nothing. Nothing. And when we realize that, we realize that once we're in Christ, we have such great rest and hope and blessings that can only be found in Him. And I say all that to say this, that Christian, you need to resort to Christ Find Christ in the garden. Find Christ in the groves. Find Christ. Go to Him. This isn't about a geographical, physical location. This is about you going to Christ to receive these things. To do these things. You go to Him to praise Him. You go to Him in prayer. You go to Him to surrender. You go to Him for the teaching and the learning and the knowledge. You go to Him for rest and for hope and for blessings. All of these things we find that Jesus demonstrated and, if you will, was the example of in these passages, they're all found in Jesus Christ and none other. And if you're here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't have that to resort to. You only have the physical things, and the physical things don't last. The Pharisees were all about the physical things, they went to their homes. Jesus went to his. The Mount of Olives. And I and I implore you today, if you have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to do it. And when I talk about a Savior, I'm talking about a Savior that does saving, that does salvation. And what do we need to be saved from? Death. 
Does that mean we get to live forever here in this flesh? No. But you don't want to suffer the second death, which is eternal, which is a lake of fire, which is a place of torment, which is a place that is away from God, away from everyone else. Could you imagine being tormented for an eternity alone with no one else and no hope? because you chose to reject Christ as your Savior that could save you from that? That died on the cross so you didn't have to go through that? That gave himself and lived in this flesh, if you will, so you don't have to go through that? And rose again so that you could have eternal life? All these things we find in him? And he says it's simple. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible makes it simple. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I implore you in just a few moments, we're going to go ahead and sing and we can have the piano player come and the, um, and the song leader come now. And uh, get ready as we close in this close this service. But um, during this time, if you're sitting there in your seat, in a moment you'll be standing. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, just come up here. We'll have somebody just show you from the Word of God what it means to trust Christ as your Savior. There's several people here that that have done that and can show from the Word of God, how you can have eternal life through our Lord. And you can have a place that you go to for all that we saw here this morning. And it's found only in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to hear from you and your Word and to see what you've done for us, to see what you give to us, And Lord, I pray that we would find this only in you, that this is where we would resort to, to you, for all of these things. I pray, Lord, you just continue to work in our hearts. Just comfort us, convict us if we need to be. But Lord, just be joyous in the fact that you as our Savior have done so much for us and continue to do more and more every day. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for all that you've done. And I ask and pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.